what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr john Morantz, joe johnson's jaw rest of course we've got jays we got for days josh how you doing so I went to go look up Stetson Bennett, the fourth middle name, to see if we can get him in there for an mm. honorable mention this week. His middle name might be better than his first and last name. What's his What's his middle name? You got to better than Stetson. It might be. You got to take one guess. I mean, I would be stunned if you get it, but you got to at least take a guess. Cornelius. In the right ballpark, he is Stetson Fleming Bennett the fourth. Fleming. That is, is that fantastic. is that not the greatest thing ever? You know what the best part about that is? Is that there are three other dudes that have the same name. <laughs> That's the best part. That there are just a bunch of, of Stetson Fleming Bennett's chilling. And, and Christmas and Thanksgiving is a hoot because of how many Stephen Fleming, excuse me, Stetson Fleming Bennett's there are out there. So Stephen Bennett, shouts to the Bulldogs. Shouts to, shouts to, uh, Perhaps one of the most loved walk-ons of all time. You're just giving all the walk-ons love today. Just giving all the walk-ons love today. Um, I will throw a J in there real quick. Um, gonna give a shout out to um to our friend and my lovely girlfriend Jess, who has brought on a ridiculous challenge in trying to hang out with two puppy dogs for a month, and she's absolutely killing it. So we're gonna add right there at the end. Uh, shouts to Jess. She can be a part of our Jays for days on this uh, particular pod because those puppies are, um, they're puppies. They are and very much puppies. They are puppies and they are little and they are very much a 24-7 obligation. So shouts to her and this absolutely ridiculous challenge that she brought on, but she's killing it. Um, so we can throw her in there, but you know, I've gotten to the point with college football that all I want is competitive football games and big moments because we don't get a whole lot of those. Mm-hmm. We, we yep. just don't. I mean, yep. of the 16 semifinal games that have been played, I think three of them have been decided by fewer than 10 points and none of them have been decided by fewer than six. Now, right. The, the score of last night's game was not, you know, what was the final score? 33 to 18. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. But with, you know, yes, 33 to 18. But with, like, nine minutes left, it was 18 to 19. Oh, yeah. It was... And Alabama was driving with a chance to, you know, driving. They, Alabama had the ball with a chance to tie the game with, a you know, a score and a two-point conversion. And then you have a pick six, and it turns it into a 15-point game. But I – it's my biggest beef with college football is that – no matter how much you love it, you can't tell me that big games are decided closely all that often. And this one was very entertaining until pretty much the very end. And I, that's about as, that's about all I can ask for at this point. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a real, of course, some people are going to complain because the team's kicked a bunch of field goals in the first half, but, right. and the defenses were phenomenal. I will never be personally that upset about it, but yeah, it was actually a good game of football again with two really great teams, which we just, like you said, don't get very much. So right. and we get a new, a new national champion, which mm-hmm. is always nice. Not that Georgia is, you know, some kind of Cinderella story, but right. It was funny. Everybody's go-to tweet last night was to tell me how many days it's been since Georgia won their last <laughs> national championship. And like, I get it, but like at some point there, we lose the effect of telling me how long it's been between two things, especially when it's a team like Georgia that could like has been the number one team in the country plenty of times and like had chances to go to the national championship plenty of times. It's not like they've sucked for 40 years. You mm-hmm. know what I mean, right. But it has been a while and longer than I perhaps would have guessed, but um but still, I'm not sure that one's like hitting me in the feels. Yeah. Like some of these other things might, yep. you know, you know, Tiger, it's been, you know, 11 years and a divorce and car crashes and back surgeries since he last won a major like that. That might get to me a little bit more than, man, this SEC powerhouse just couldn't win the big one for four years. Yeah. You know I mean? Or the Cubs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. With all due respect to the Cubs and all due respect to the fans that, never saw the Cubs win a World Series and all of that stuff still. Um, it's a little bit more in that vein than than perhaps uh, 
a real feel good story. But oh, obviously, oh, obviously, using the Cubs is an opposite example. Oh, oh, fair. But there's a there's a little more meaning to it. Sure, it's not the same thing as what you were saying with Tiger. But sure, okay, that's fair. But I I have. I have a hard time getting there with professional sports teams, to be honest with you. And that's also a valid point. Sure. Any, any, no, but also um, if the Grizzlies won <laughs> NBA finals, it would be the best thing that's ever happened to me. So maybe I'm just not a Cubs fan, which is, which is fair. So I won't try to fight all these Cubs fans, many of which came out of nowhere when the Cubs were on their way to winning the world series in 2016. But um, I'm, I'm done firing shots at the, at the Cubbies fan base because that's not exactly what I'm trying to tussle with, but we had a we had a winner in college football. We got winners and losers in in the college basketball world as well. We're gonna talk panic meter a little bit later in the pod because I don't know if you knew this, Josh, but there are a lot of good teams or quote unquote good teams, teams we thought were good that lost this weekend. And we need to talk about how much they should be panicking after their losses. Many of them uh, losing to teams that either they shouldn't have lost to or the way in which they lost was was pretty shocking. But we'll get to that momentarily. We'll start with winners and losers as we do at the beginning of every week. Mr. Doring, who is your winner? My winner is Wisconsin. Interesting. And I have another honorable mention I'm going to throw out there if they're not your winner. Okay. But... I mean, Wisconsin won at Purdue against Iowa and at Maryland. That's two road wins, a win over Purdue, a win over Iowa, five in a row since they lost to Ohio State and got run off the floor. They've scored at least 70 points in all five of those games. And really part of this for me is about the idea that, right, so they had the Ohio State game, they had the weird COVID pause, and then games against Nichols and Illinois state that were way closer than they should have been. And I was starting to go back to the, I'm not really convinced by these guys. Clearly when Johnny Davis is great, they can go beat anybody. They're going to win a lot of big 10 games. They're very good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how good they actually are in the grand scheme of the big 10 hierarchy though. And every time I start to have questions, they go and do something like this. You just right. can't dispute what they did this week in the past seven, eight days, whatever it is. And so they didn't necessarily need it because they've been more consistent than I've given them credit for this year. They've just had a couple poor performances, but there's, there's part of me that's having a really hard time believing this is all real. (laughs) And the more they play, the more it looks like it is. They're scoring enough points now. And obviously they play good defense. I think the, the win that matters the most to me, and this is in a week where they beat Purdue on the road, um, is is actually the the Maryland win because Johnny Davis was was good. He wasn't great. He only had 19. He wasn't all that efficient. And that's the and, and you had a guy like Tyler Wall step up and have 21 points, be eight of eleven from eight of twelve from the field, five of five from the free throw line. Um honestly, if you if you tell me that Johnny Davis isn't gonna score 20. I would bet on Maryland seven days a week still. Um, And should they have beat Maryland? Yes. If they really are a team that is Maryland's not very good. They've been maybe one of the more disappointing uh, power conference teams this year in terms of what we thought they had a potential to be, but they were five of 20 from the three point line. Um, Johnny Davis was good, not great. And they went and won a game on the road in the big 10. Honestly, anybody can beat anybody if their best player goes and scores 34 in college in the, in the college game. Like if you're, if your best player has that kind of a night and Johnny Davis is making a habit out of having those kind of nights, but when you're, when you have one guy go out and score 34, like he did, it's not the task of beating anybody anywhere becomes much less daunting <laughs> pretty much immediately. And he, he was fine, but not, not completely out of this world elite last night and they still found a way to win on the road. So I I'm certainly in agreement with you. And I would even, I would look to the game 
that they won against perhaps the the worst team that they played this week as one that perhaps gives me a little pause still because they still only beat Maryland by one. But also that was the question we were having when, like you said, they were having close, close calls and losses. Um, can this team win against anybody when Johnny Davis isn't the clear cut best player on the floor? Yeah, and first team All-American caliber, because right. that's what he has to be for them to contend to win this conference. And um, and right now they're certainly in a good good position to to be in contention. Indeed. Uh, I didn't think too hard. Um, it's it's now January eleventh, and the Miami Hurricane are thirteen and three, and they're five and zero in and they're five and zero in ACC play, and they're now five and zero. They're alone by themselves at the top of this conference. And listen, when when you go and beat Duke at Cameron Indoor, there aren't a lot of teams that are capable of doing that, even if Duke tries to hand them a win. Um, and we'll get to Duke. Duke is part of our panic meter conversation here in a moment, so I don't want to dive all that deeply into this game um, so that we can talk about Duke here in a moment. But 5-0, um, they're now 13-3 and overall. They got that win over Duke, and that's one. It's not going to take all that many wins to finish second in this conference. I still, and we'll talk about it, but I am still picking Duke to win the ACC um, because if Duke didn't go on COVID pause, they'd probably be four and one and right there next to Miami at the top of this conference. So I'm not, I'm not worried about them, but Miami, I mean, they have, this is the beginning of a really tough stretch where they play Florida State, North Carolina, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. And if they get through that, yep. two and two, and you're seven and two in conference, and then your next set of games is no Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Louisville. And then you finish with Pitt, Boston College, and Syracuse and three of your last four. Like the the road to even if they're clear, they're not going to they're not gonna go 20 and 0 in conference, but like all of a sudden it's like now you're looking at to get to 12 wins you got to win seven of your next 15. And that's very, very doable um, for a Hurricanes team that as long as they stay healthy is clearly good enough to win games in this conference. So yeah. there my win. Two weeks in a row for the Hurricanes. Good for them. My I want to, I almost went with LSU. Mm. So I just want to mention them briefly. It's a good week. <laughs> I, I qualified my being out on them last week by saying they very well may prove me wrong. And I have decided to admit I'm wrong. Those guys, the athleticism they have and the length they have, the way they play defense, which obviously they've been a really good defensive team all season, but mm -hmm. to do what they, right. They got their big test with the multiple top 25 opponents in conference play and they passed it relatively speaking with flying colors. So mm. a very good week for them as well. Yeah. That, and again, like a, like a broken record, we'll talk about them more um, as we talk about the, one of the teams that they beat in Tennessee, because they're a part of our panic meter as well, but right. It's what LSU did this week is made me really excited about the race for first in the sec between Auburn and LSU, because both of those teams are, are the real deal. And I don't expect them to, to lose chunks of games anytime soon in, in that conference. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Who's your loser? Arkansas. Man, tough They followed up the road loss to Mississippi State back at the end of 2021, which understandable Mississippi State is playing good basketball right now with a home loss to Vanderbilt and a road loss to Texas A&M. That in and of itself is obviously problematic. There's also the, the problem that I want to highlight, which is they have three guys scoring, and that is it. J.D. Note, Stanley Amudi, and Audis Tony had 64 of their 74 points against Vanderbilt. Note had 31 against Texas A&M. He was the only player with more than 13. And they're not playing elite defense. 
That is not a formula for success with the amount of good to great teams that are, that are in the SEC this season. Right. These are this is not losing to LSU and then Auburn and then Kentucky. This is Vanderbilt, Texas AM, and Mississippi State. And you lost a game in which JD Note scored 31 points. Right? Which <laughs> contradicts what you just said about if you're good enough and you get that kind of performance from your best player, you should win. <laughs> and I generally agree with you is that and follow that along with that logic, which is another alarm bell ringing for Arkansas that even that wasn't enough because they're just not getting the, the help that they need from the role players. I'm going to stick in the SEC. Um, this week I learned that Tennessee is not going to score enough points to beat good teams in the SEC on a consistent basis. I mean, we're a bucket away from them losing to Ole Miss in a almost a barely a top 100 Kim Palm team. Um, they haven't scored 70 points since December 22nd. And it's clear that, I mean, we went for, I, I went from, yeah, I think Tennessee's better than Alabama to, and, and has a chance to win this conference to I'm not sold on them to, you know, winning, scoring enough points to, to beat anybody good in this conference. I mean, especially on the road. And if you're not going to win some games on there, you're going to, it's clear, you're going to have to win a lot of games to win the SEC this year. And I'm not sure Tennessee is built to win a ton of games in the SEC this year, even if they finish, you know, a respectable 12 and six or something. I don't think that's going to be anywhere near enough uh, wins in conference in that conference to after seeing what LSU and Auburn done have done over the last week and a half or so. Um, I'll stop there because we'll chat about Tennessee more momentarily, but this has a little more to do with right losing to Alabama and LSU on the surface fine, but now you're two and four in quad one opportunities. Um, if you're Tennessee and it, it, you have to scroll quite a way down the, the net rankings right now to find a team that is multiple games under 500 in the, in the quad one conversation right now um and i'm just i'm just not sold at this point on their ability to be good teams yeah i'll panic save my meter. i'll save my thoughts for now panic meter shall we let's do it don't don't panic not for you we don't need to panic do you have a do you, you know what josh do you need do you need to do you need to be given the opportunity to um to uh, assess yourself on the panic meter are you are you feeling do, do you need a safe space? I, you know, we're giving the panic meter to Duke, Alabama, um, Kansas, Colorado State, and Tennessee here in a moment. But, but do, do, do you have any – do you need to let anything off your chest? I'm just giving you the safe space. Or I would you like to throw it all under Duke? I, I appreciate it. I do not feel the need to assess myself on the panic meter. Fantastic. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, let's start with Duke then. Uh, the Blue Devils – Weird last month or so for this team, right? Of course, they've played only three times since December 22nd. They missed a couple games because of COVID. Um, they sit now 12-2, and 2-1 two, two in conference, of course, coming off a of Miami-Florida loss uh, in Cameron Indoor Stadium. We just, I, we just finished talking about last week about how Duke doesn't seem to be interested in winning the games at Cameron Indoor and just making it easy on themselves to win this conference. And right on cue, they lose at home to Miami, Florida in a game that I, until they lost, was like, yeah, they'll figure it out. It's Miami, Florida, and it's Cameron Indoor. And that just didn't happen. Uh, Blue Devils 12-2. and 2-1 two, um, in the ACC. And now just like, quite frankly, in a little bit of a hole, especially when there's a team that's 5-0. and what is your panic meter ultimately for the Blue Devils? Instead of oh, and I and I suppose we should so we should make clear. Um, one, what? How did you describe it? One is sunshine and rainbows. Chilling on a beach in Hawaii, I think. Yes. Vacation in Hawaii. Right. One is chilling on a beach in Hawaii. Here, I'm going to give you the specific terminology. Um, one is vacation in Hawaii, and ten is code red. <laughs> Just so you know. So the closer to one, the less panic. The closer to 10, the more panic. Yeah. So 
You're at a four tumbler. We can't ignore the reality of the COVID layoff. And I understand this wasn't Duke's first game back, but this is the first good team Duke has played in a while. And they were just sloppy, especially in the first half, which is understandable. It kind of has the vibes of when Baylor came back last year, right? And they just didn't quite look like themselves. So that's got to be part of this. And like you said earlier, I'm ultimately not that concerned about them long-term. And I almost feel like I punish teams that (laughs) I think are really good by panicking a little bit more because of the implications in terms of trying to win a national title. And Duke certainly falls into that category of, I don't think this loss is that big of a deal. That being said, I'm at a four because of what Miami was able to do to them offensively. Now, I said this last week when we talked about winners. I think it was last week. Yeah, it must have been. Those guards are legit. They can really score the basketball. Miami is not good defensively, but offensively, they know what they're doing. And if that's going to be the defense that shows up, this team is not winning a national championship. To me, it's that simple. It's what I was impressed with, and we talked about it ad nauseum when Duke was looking like the best team in the country. If they can play high-level defense, that is what separates this team from other Duke teams that have looked like this team and come up short the past five years or whatever. It's not a question of talent. It's a question of can they do the little things, and can they play good enough defense? Because they have the personnel to do it. They have shown they can this year. It's one game I don't want to draw too many conclusions, but we're in January and they're still capable of a defensive performance like that, which is concerning to me. Um, with all of that being said, Miami still only shot 45% from the field and 25% from the three-point line. Um, I... I I think, right, the difference between what we're seeing from Duke a month ago and what we're seeing from Duke now is that the defense isn't quite there the way that you'd absolutely love it to be. Um, The other thing I'll say is that, like, in in the middle of – in the middle of their ACC, almost exactly these dates, in the middle of that 2015 team's national title run – they lost to NC State in Miami, Florida, and didn't look great in either one. And lost to Miami of Florida at home, by the way, um, 90 to 74. And then they, you know, top 11 defense ended up being fine. My point is, is that I, I'm at a three okay. because I still think Duke is the best team in the ACC. Yes. I still don't think Duke will have to sweat that hard to win this conference because I am not sold on. I'm, I'm never going to pick a sub 200 defense at Kimpom, and that's what Miami is <laughs> to win a power five conference, even if it's the ACC and it might be arguably the worst year of the ACC in it's in the conference's history. Like that's, especially if Duke sputters into a, you know, 12 and six conference record, right. And it's just a top 25 team, not a top seven team for most of the season uh, for most of conference play. Um, yeah. Defense wasn't great. Um, and, and also I'm a little, I, the other part of it is that I'm not sure how I feel about Duke against good teams in general, right? We're two and one in quad one. Yes. They have their one against Kentucky and Gonzaga, but like the last two teams that they've played that are respectable and they beat Virginia tech at home. I'll give you that one. But like, We've lost to Ohio State and we've lost to Miami, Florida in two of their last three games against sub one, you know, top 100 Kempom teams. They beat Virginia Tech, who was 31st at Kempom. So I'm, I'm I, like, I'm not sure how I'll feel about Duke against the best teams in the country at all this season until I see them play another one of the best teams in the country this season when we get to the tournament. Mm-hmm. And that's just a you know reality of the ACC not being phenomenal at the moment. I mean, 
when you look at Kempom, there are only outside of Duke. I mean, the next team is North Carolina at 29th and we've had our conversations about North Carolina and then there are a couple teams top 40, but then like they're, you know, top 55, top 70, and you still have a handful of teams outside of the top 100 at Kempom. So that's, it's more of the wonderment I have about like what Duke is going to look like because I'm not really panicking because they just came off COVID. This is what Duke teams do. Yeah. They lose teams in the, to teams in the ACC that they shouldn't. And they, they make a habit out of it actually. And to their, and, and this year it might not bite them, but Miami's at least put them in a position where, Hey, like you're going to, you need to go and win some games because all of a sudden you're, you're a little bit behind the eight ball, even if Miami doesn't end up winning 15 conference games right now they're five and oh and you're 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 not at the top of this conference and you've got some work to do but ultimately um maybe i have questions about how elite this duke team will be and if they were ever really one of the best teams in the country um but either way i'm not all that all that concerned about Duke. This is what they do. Honestly, like I saw it, I was a little surprised, but didn't really bat an eye at this because Duke teams have been losing to bad teams, to, to average ACC teams, even on in the years that they have really good teams for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Especially with freshmen too. It just happens, you know? Right. Alabama, what's your panic for the, for the Crimson Tad? Seven. Hey, me too. It has to be at least a six when you go out 92 points to Missouri. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the context is. Unless you didn't have half your players available. Mm-hmm. 92 points to Missouri. That's a lot of points. Yes, I understand they just beat Tennessee and Florida. They have plenty of good wins. Clearly, they can beat anybody. But we're going back to the same basics here. Which are, they are heavily reliant on the three. And sometimes it doesn't work all that well. But the bigger problem that is continuing to become evident and is why I bumped this to a seven is that this is not the same kind of defensive team they had last year. I got stats for you. It's not even close, but continue. (laughs) That's part of what happens when you lose a guy like Herb Jones. Missouri's 170th at Kim Palm in offensive efficiency, by the way. Yeah, that's a sub 145 Kempom team. Yeah. And if you're going to be that reliant on the three and you're not going to play defense, you're going to have a lot of these games. And they've already had a couple. They just sometimes they win against really good teams and sometimes they lose to bad ones. It's just sort of a coin flip of what Alabama team shows up at this point. And maybe we're going to learn something because you start with Auburn tonight and then you play at Mississippi State and then you've got LSU. But also, I'm kind of to the point where I just don't put too much stock in any single game because it has very little bearing on what happens next. Mm-hmm. Right? Most teams, you can kind of see, okay, this thing is getting better. This thing is getting worse. This is a trend. I'm, I'm to the point with Alabama where this is who they are. Unless they, unless they put together a really good five games of defense, then we're having a conversation about, okay, I feel they're much closer to last year's team. And I felt somewhat differently about last year's team, not in the grand scheme of what they can do in the NCAA tournament, but in terms of a game to game proposition, Mm -hmm. I, I will just never feel comfortable with a team that can give up 92 points to Missouri on any given night and can lose to Davidson. All due respect to Davidson who's having a good season and is a good team on any given night. That team will, I will never be anywhere close to chilling in Hawaii with that team. As you mentioned, the difference between last year's Alabama team and this year's Alabama team is that when Alabama shot it well, they never lost. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't shoot it well, right, and we had that conversation, and that's why neither of us were as high on Alabama as pretty much the rest of the country was going into the tournament last year, is that, like, listen, I saw when they didn't shoot well, like, they were vulnerable. Not completely vulnerable, but kind of vulnerable and we saw that last year and they are completely vulnerable this year even in games when they shoot it well last year they were third in defensive efficiency this year they're barely inside the top 60 
59th the last time I looked. Yes, 59th in defensive efficiency. Um, here's their so last year in the regular season, here are the number of points that they lost that they scored in their losses. Okay, 64, 56, 71, 61, 65, and 66. So in five of their six regular season losses last year, they failed to score 70. So that suggests that when they didn't shoot it well, they were a little vulnerable, especially against good teams, right? And, you know, they ended up losing in the tournament to UCLA in a overtime game, 88-78. That's, that's fine and whatever. But last year it was, you know, they lost to Missouri once again on the road because they only scored 65. They lost to Arkansas because they only scored 66. Um, in non-conference, especially early in the season, they lost to Stanford, Clemson, and Western Kentucky and only cracked – 65 one of those times here in 2022 they're 11 and 4 and in those losses they've scored 68 78 78 and 86 86 you should never lose a game when you score 86 points if you're one of the 15 best teams in the country and so so that's the thing that 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 right there is why i'm at a seven because if they lost this game and they only scored 61 and they had a bad shooting night, like, okay, maybe I'm closer to a four because that's just Alabama last year. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing this year is that even when they are, you know, when they are decent from, and, you know, they, and, and the, even when they're decent on the offensive end, they can still lose games, even to like, frankly, subpar teams. You shouldn't give up 92 points to Memphis. And you shouldn't give up 92 points to Missouri. And this year they, they outside the top 203 points field goal percentage, if you're going to play defense that poorly, you can't, and they're eighth and two point field goal percentage, but like you need to shoot the three ball. Well, if you're not going to hang your hat on defense and this year, you know, maybe it, it, right. It's partly a personnel thing. Um, they're just not as good defensively. And that leaves them, that leaves them vulnerable. But uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it's a team that's got Tennessee, Florida, Houston and Gonzaga in terms of their wins they have the weirdest resume in the country because <laughs> they also have losses to Iona Memphis Davidson and Missouri yep it's so weird um maybe it's a slight overreaction to have them at seven but yeah like you said when you give up 92 to Missouri you you got to get some flack for it at least a little bit and I'm very much taking this big picture of am I concerned oh, yeah. about right am I concerned about their ability to play well and win at least one of these next three games? No. Would I be surprised if they beat Auburn tonight at all? No. Do I think they're going to? No, I just think Auburn's significantly better, but mm-hmm. I believe they're favored in the game and there's a reason for it because they're, they're at home. But mm-hmm. it's much more about do I think this team can make a deep run? And mm-hmm. I'm getting very concerned that the answer is no because I didn't have faith last year, as you mentioned, and – and last year's team was significantly better than this one. Yeah. And then the personnel is a little bit different because they're more guard heavy and those guards are not exactly great three-point shooters, but the point stay, remains the same. They play fast, which is why the defensive efficiency is so important. Mm-hmm. When you play fast, you're going to give up more points, right? So it's about, okay, wh- how efficient is your defense? And that's where last year, even though I, I would argue that right, the, the points per game didn't always look great. It was because so there were so many possessions. They were a great defensive team. This year, they're just not, as you alluded to. Kansas, the Jayhawks. Six. Interesting. Okay. This is, this is a weird spot. First of all, I'd like to point out that basically this exact same Texas Tech team, as in not having their best two, point, two players, Scored 47 points a matter of days ago mm-hmm. against Iowa State. And then, now, of course, being at home obviously is a major factor here. But Kansas came into Lubbock, and they looked like last year's team that was fine, good, nowhere near great. No point guard, didn't know how to really initiate offense. Wing heavy. I mean... That's the best trio. That's the best trio of wings in the country. Maybe it's because UCLA hasn't played in forever, or at least played a game against a, a noteworthy opponent. 
But with what Christian Brown is doing, I want those three over UCLA's at this point. And they're not elite defensively. That's the thing that gets overlooked about, I think, some of the Kansas teams when they were rolling through the Big 12 every year. They were always, you know, top 20, top 10 defense. They didn't necessarily hang their hat on it because they had a bunch of NBA guys and a great point guard. Are, but they are were you really are you really hanging a, the 9.8 points per game and 48% from the field Remy Martin in your best perimeter trio in the country? No, I'm talking Jalen Wilson, Ochai Abaji, and Christian Brown. Oh, okay. All right, fine. Yeah. No, Remy because, Martin is the because we're gonna talk about Remy Martin and David McCormack here in a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I meant the wings. Yes. Okay. Best right. trio of wings. Okay. Right. right. But this is the <laughs> I looked at this roster and said, this looks like really good Kansas. You have a point guard who is not necessarily pass first, but is a really good creative shot maker. You have a big to play through and you've got all American caliber wings. And now they just don't have two of those three things. And neither of those guys started on Saturday. Right. Which I don't have an issue with Remy Martin not starting, but also there's a reason Remy Martin's not starting and that's a problem. Right. They're, Terry Easton isn't starting for LSU, but it's not because he's not one of the best five players on the right. floor. Right. David McCormick had three points and played 14 minutes in a game against this, another top 25 Big 12 team. David McCormick lost his starting job this year. And what were we talking about preseason? It was Kansas is a national title contender because they have Big 12 player of the year caliber players at three different positions. At point guard with Remy Martin, and I would have never bet on Remy Martin to be the Big 12 player of the year, but like if you told me he was going to average 17 and be in the mm-hmm. conversation, like it wouldn't completely shock me. Ochag Baji, who's having perhaps the – he might win most improved player of the year this year. And that's saying something because he was really good last year. <laughs> right, right. But a little disappointing. And he's been the, it's been the inverse this year. You expected him to be good. He's been even better. He's got to be, in my opinion, top four or five in terms of national player of the year conversation right now. Absolutely. So you have that. And you're still a little disappointed in this Kansas team because David McCormack has been uninspiring. He's, scored in double figures just seven times, and Remy Martin has seven field goals total in the last three games. So the I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I have to readjust, even with what you said about their perimeter players. And Christian Brown is turning himself into an NBA-caliber player. Like, that kid, the guy's probably going to be drafted because he's been so good this year. Like I have to take a step back and reassess Kansas as a title contender because they just look different than I thought they would. Thought everything yeah. would run through McCormack, and that you know you would work outside for men. You'd have the most dominant player on the floor night in night out, and that just hasn't hasn't been the case. Um, I'm at a five here. I don't know if I ever actually. Okay, no, I was going to ask you. Yeah, that if I ever explicitly said that. So basically, in the same ballpark that you are. Um, I will say that I'm I'm getting pretty close to saying that as long as nothing happens to Baylor, that Kansas doesn't have a chance to win this conference. Because I, I mean, Texas Tech didn't have they. It was a shorthanded Texas Tech team. Yeah, didn't have their best two players, and and they still still were able to take care of Kansas. And you know, and the fashion in which McCormack and Remy Martin just were not factors is also um, is also really concerning because think about it. Like if Remy Martin and David McCormack were what they were supposed to be this year, and specifically McCormack, I think Remy Martin, 10 points a game, 10, three and three on 48% shooting and 38% from the three point line. I think that's plenty for like the, like that's decent enough, especially if, if David McCormack is actually, the player that we were expecting him to be this year. Then we're talking about Kansas absolutely being the one of the best teams in the country. And and the problem, and, and they okay. and they I suppose they still are one of the you know ten best teams in the country probably. But you know you were having a conversation between them and Baylor and like you know absolutely just an absolutely stacked top of the Big Twelve and it just doesn't quite feel that way 
with with this Jayhawks team. And the other problem is right. Remy Martin hasn't been awful. I'm with you that right. The the numbers themselves don't look terrible. However, he's not a he's not a creator, which is where you need David McCormick to be that focal point offensively. And that's not happening either. So all of a sudden you're in this problem where you it just looks stagnant and they look lost offensively at times because they don't have anybody to initiate offense. And especially because Abaji is such a good three-point shooter. Yes, he's getting downhill more and attacking the basket more, but that's that's only part of what he does, right? He's not a ball handler. That's not him at his best. And so that's the other concern. This would be a, at at least a seven for me if on the roster there weren't pieces to fix it, right? This is not a – last year they simply didn't have players to do the things that need to happen. This year those players exist. They're just not doing what they need to do, if that makes sense. So that's where – if David McCormick can go from being who David McCormick was in the first half of last year to the second half of last year, and back to what he is now, I'm not going to rule out the possibility that he goes back to being who he was in the second half of last year, too. I'm not convinced it's going to happen, which is why I'm in a six. But there is a world in which Remy Martin has a great month or McCormick starts becoming one of the best players in the Big 12 again, and we're having a different conversation come March. Right. Colorado State. Three. And I almost wanted to put it lower. Yeah, that's where it, I am. Is it bad that I came away from a 30-point loss impressed? Yes. You shouldn't have been <laughs> impressed by anything Colorado State did. Up. And I was really excited for this game because they, – and they've played a good schedule. But, right, this is one of those marquee games, one of the few times we're going to get to see them play a really good team here before March. And they were at San Diego State. It was a horrible performance. Don't get me wrong. But they turned the ball over and they shot 15% from three. They don't do those things. I believe they're top 15 going into this game. At least they were top 15 in the country in both turnover percentage and three point shooting. We've talked about how good of a offensive team they are. And despite that, and despite getting their doors blown off, the one takeaway I had was these guys get good shots every time they come down the floor when they don't turn the ball over. (laughs) Now they didn't make any of them. And it got a little bit out of hand in the last couple minutes because it was more of a 15 point game in the second half. And they were still within striking distance at halftime. It's not like it was 24 to two to start the game and it was over from the jump. I just, I think they're really good and had a horrible day. However, and then uh, I'm curious where your justification for not panicking about them is. They haven't played a lot of great defenses. San Diego State is a great defensive team. Who also happens to have Matt Bradley. Who. He is, he, he transferred to a better team but he transferred down, obviously leaving the Pac-12. No, San Diego State, like I said, much better than Cal. But that dude could have played a lot of places. He is a phenomenal scorer. But my, my concern is just, okay, so in the tournament, when Colorado State in the round of 32, round of Sweet 16, plays another defense of San Diego State's caliber, is it going to look like this every single time? That's my worry Mm -hmm. because they haven't played a lot of teams that can do what San Diego state can to you defensively. So is this a system that when you, when you face elite defenses, it falls apart because these individuals can't do enough to sort of solve the problem and come up with solutions. Or is this just one game that we're going to forget about by March and it doesn't mean anything. You know, I think, the first thing that we have to remember is that Colorado State wasn't supposed to win this game. Right. 
Now, were they supposed to lose it by 30? No. But <laughs> no. was Colorado State supposed to win this game? No. No. Not according to the books, not according to Kempom, not according to anybody. I, three out of 10 for a couple reasons. Um, the first being that they were supposed to lose this game. So they lost the game. Um, it's just their second game since December 11th. Um, like you said, it's the best defense they've played this season pretty easily. And you say, and, and you, right. If, if a team like Colorado state is giving, I mean, sorry, San Diego state is giving you issues because of what they do defensively. Honestly, that's probably okay because there are about five or six other teams <laughs> in the country that do what they do defensively. Yeah. Now, does that mean Colorado state, you know, is it fair to take a step back and ask, okay, relative to the rest of the country, how good is Colorado state? Sure. But I think they're they're going to lose two more times the rest of the season, maybe. They'll have a chance to beat San Diego State again when they get to play them at home. And honestly, when a team is – when a lot of what a team does suggests they're good, and then the game that they lose, they were 12 of 43 from the field and 3 of 20 from the three-point line, and the only reason they scored more than 30 was because they got to the line 26 times. I, I have like, like just as much as a team shooting 64% from the three point line is an anomaly. A team shooting 15% from the three point line is also an anomaly, especially a team that shoots it as well as right. Colorado state. Right. Um, so frankly, like the, all these are the teams that we've talked about. Right. I had Duke at a three as well because Duke hasn't get, given me a whole lot of reason to suggest that they're going to lose to Miami, the Miamis of the world all season. Alabama is a seven out of 10 because they did something that they've done all season. And that's like not play good defense. Um, Kansas is kind of right there in the middle and Colorado state has done nothing this season to suggest that what they gave me on Saturday against San Diego state is what they actually are. So as a result, uh, I'm not all that, I'm not all that concerned. Um, about where they go from here because where they go from here is they go back to shooting it well and not turning the ball over and sometimes even sometimes even virginia has subpar (laughs) defensive nights you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. like and and that's just kind of that's kind of what we're talking about here they're still you know even with this performance they're still top 22 um in offensive efficiency i mean the the metrics destroyed Colorado state for this absolutely destroyed. And they're all the way back to 52nd at Kempom now. Are they? Yeah. They got absolutely molly whopped for this performance as you know, which is fair, but I'm, uh, I I think that in, you know, two or three weeks, we'll see them back in the top 35 again. And um, we'll get to the end of the season and say, man, where the heck did that 49 point performance come from? rather than, man, that 49-point performance was the start of a downfall for uh, for Colorado State. And, I mean, Matt Bradley's as good as any player they're going to see all season. Sure. That's not just some dude. <laughs> That's a dude who is scoring at a high level in the Pac-12 with very little help. Right. I, I mentioned when we were talking about the Pac-12 preview and the fact that Cal lost him. I'm a huge Matt Bradley fan. Really? I love it. And this was the first game he really had a coming out party at San Diego State. I think it's even unfair to punish them that severely, but ultimately I'm with you. I I have just never seen a team possession to possession. I went, wow, that was a pretty good look. Wow, they got to the free throw line because they got what they were looking for offensively. And this was in a game where they were terrible offensively. <laughs> I I came away very impressed with how intelligent of a basketball team they are. And I think they're going to be just fine. I completely agree. They're going to be fine. Let's go back to the SEC, shall we? Let's Maybe do we it. should have stuck in the ACC, the SEC, but whatever. Yeah. Um, we'll go back to the SEC with the Vols. Um, it was kind of, it, it was a touch and go week or touch and go last 10 days for sure for the Vols. And it could have been really, really bad if they, lost to Ole Miss uh, in between their losses to respectable SEC teams. But um, as we sit on January 11th, um, are we like, are we getting the key for the code red button? Are we 
actually still more clo- you know closer to packing our bag to Hawaii. Where are we sitting with uh, Rick Barnes's team right now? Right in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> I gave him a five, and I'm gonna guess you were higher. Uh, I gave them a six. Okay. On the surface, right, you shouldn't need overtime to beat Ole Miss at home, and you're not supposed to beat LSU on the road. So, and right, this is a team that did just beat Arizona. (laughs) They're another, sort of like Alabama, they're a, you just don't really know what you're going to get every single night. I guess I just, before this, before the LSU game, I had just kind of accepted that they weren't as good as I was hoping they were going to be and thought they could be. And therefore, my level of panic decreased because I had decreased expectations. Going back to what I said before about I feel like I am punishing Duke and Kansas a little bit because I didn't think they – I didn't see this coming. Right. Whereas I'm not surprised by this with Tennessee anymore, and I was just upset at Alabama's defense. Because I'll take the I'll take the defensive team over the offensive team any day of the week, which is I guess ultimately why Tennessee is a five and Alabama is a seven for me. It, it is very because they are so similar. In in the sense that the narrative this season is basically the same as last season, right? For Tennessee, we talked about what Alabama's was with the caveat that the defense is not there. Tennessee's is they play really good defense. They struggle offensively and they turn the ball over those two. Right. And those last two things, not a good combination doesn't allow you to beat a lot of really good teams. And so part of my thinking, and I think I said this explicitly on the SRSCC preview was if Kennedy Chandler delivers, he is going to fix most of these problems. And he has raised this team's ceiling because when it all works, they can beat anybody in the country. But he hasn't quite, and he's been very good. He just quite hasn't fixed the offensive issues. And so we're back to the point where their ceiling just isn't that high in terms of making a deep run because you're going to have a game, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this, where they can't score. And then in the NCAA tournament, that's kind of that. You're the not going to have a game. You're never going to be able to score. <laughs> Nothing suggests that, they, unless you're playing USC Upstate, suggests that Tennessee can score the basketball. Literally right. nothing. So the they're only gonna... reason they're 51st at Kempom offensively is because we're still we still have preseason numbers that take into effect. In a week and a half, two weeks, when we sort of get past the 20 game, everything you know comes back to what you actually have done this season. We're gonna be a lot closer to the 85th they were last year than the 51st they are right now. Yeah, they're not significantly. They're maybe a little bit better offensively, but not significantly. So that's that's where I am. Is I mean, I just don't think there's anything to – if you're panicking, you're panicking about something that's kind of irrational at this point. That panic needed to start a while ago If mm. where this is, this is just who they are at this point. So, yeah, it's concerning, but I'm not going to freak out about it because I just don't think it's worth the mental toll if that kind of makes sense. That mm. was sort of how I approached part of this. Yeah, you know, I am um... – I can't decide who I'm, uh, you know, who I'm a less, a lesser fan of teams that can score it, but don't play defense or teams that can't score it, but play defense. Oh, I have no problem making that decision. I mean, I, yeah, you're definitely on the ladder. You're you're definitely a bigger fan of defensive focused teams, but in terms of like, if you ask me to bet on a team to win a national championship, I bet on Alabama before I bet on Tennessee. And I would probably agree with you. Because Alabama has put it all together much more consistently. Which doesn't make any sense because I'm less freaked out about Tennessee than I am about Alabama. Yeah. But maybe it's just because Tennessee is less exciting. And maybe it's because, you know, I don't know. I Honestly, sitting right here right this second, I'm not sure why I'm less freaked out by Tennessee than I am Alabama. Because, I mean... Tennessee lost Alabama, Tennessee lost LSU and Alabama. Right. I guess it's because Alabama just went and got smoked by Missouri. That's probably why it's probably a little bit of a recency bias, but um, I, I've got, I've got an answer. 
I I suppose why I'm only here is because like what has happened in the last week hasn't really changed my opinion on Tennessee. Right. And also it's, it's become abundantly clear that Alabama just doesn't play good enough defense period. And I, and for since the beginning of the season, when they lost by 18 to Villanova and lost, you know, only scored 53 points. It's like, yeah. Okay. Tennessee is one of those teams that it's, 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 you know, it's default Virginia type team. Like they're just really, really going to struggle to score the basketball enough to, to be good teams. And on the nights that they let the other team score 70, they're probably going to lose that game more times than not. And here's the other part of this for me. And also why I will always take the defense. And the other, sorry. And the last thing is that LSU is really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really good. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Really good. So, so, and yeah, and we can, I have a little blurb about them that we can chat about here in a second, but that's the other part of it. It's like LSU is really, really good. And I'm sold on that. It didn't take long for me to realize the error of my ways in doubting LSU. Yeah. (laughs) There's always the chance that Kennedy Chandler or John Fulkerson scores 25. Sure. And I guess that's that's the answer and sort of the rebuttal to you I have and why I want the defense first is it's not a fixable thing in terms of they're all of a sudden going to become a much better offensive team. But there's always the chance that you get a good – they have enough talent that individual players can have really good games. Mm-hmm. And that does, that's just not really how defense works, right? Sure. You can't – we're too deep into the season to, for the most part, to fix the issues Alabama has defensively. And, yes, you can't fix Tennessee's offensive issues either, but there is always a chance that they just – they shoot the ball really well. One of their players has a great game because similar to Wisconsin, right? All you need is that a, a nice supporting cast for a night and that one player to shine with their defense and they're in a good position to win. Mm-hmm. It's not a formula that wins a national championship. I'll just trust that formula a little bit more than Alabama's from a game to game standpoint. Sure. That's my answer. Okay. That's fair. Um, the other thing, you know, last thing, LSU, I, I, I mean, you start with the best defense in the country, according to Ken Palm right now. Um, and then, you know, I just, I love it when you're, when a guy that's top 10 in Pomeroy's uh, player of the year rankings is coming off your bench. He, Terry Eason, 16 points per game, and he's coming off the bench. And while while you and I are both firm believers and your best five players don't have to start. Um, Eason is too good to like not start on a bad team, right? Like you have to really be for real for him to not start because he's, he is that good because he might be the best player on your team. Right. And he's coming off the bench. Um, I don't have a ton more to say, but like it took me a week and I'm, I'm in on Auburn and LSU in, in a real way. Um, they, I asked them to do things like get good wins. Both of them did it. And uh, I got nothing else to, I got nothing, no other bones to pick with either team. And not only does LSU just play good defense, LSU also has the, uh, the, the thing I love, which is a combination of fundamentally sound defense and defense that turns into offense. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't, right. Virginia just guards you really effectively. And maybe forces you to throw the ball out of bounds or something. LSU attacks you defensively. And they got all kinds of uber athletes, which gets you. And again, when you're playing a Tennessee team that turns the ball over, that was basically how how LSU built their lead. They shot the ball well, and they turned turnovers into easy points. And all of a sudden, it was a 15-point game. And Tennessee kind of made a run at it and hung in there in the second half, but it was too little too late. Yeah, that defense is something special. They're they're third, they're first in efficiency. They're third in effective field goal percentage, and they're top nine in both three point and two point field goal percentage defense. But they're also sixth in the country in turnover percentage, fourth in the country in block percentage, and first in the country in steal percentage. To your point, they do everything. It's very rare you see a defense like that. And and I could go back to 
I'm actually curious. I'm going to do Yeah, that. yeah. Um, You're going back to Baylor go, last year? No, I was going to go to Virginia. Go for oh, oh, okay. Virginia okay. team and see. So we'll go back to – Oh, and I forgot Ken Palm didn't like Baylor's defense last year. We'll go back to the 18-19 team. Yeah, so yeah, Baylor was 20 – Baylor, yeah. according to Ken Palm, is the worst defense to win a national championship in the Ken Palm era. We had this conversation. Yeah, yeah um, forgot about that. Um. When Virginia was first in defensive efficiency, the year they lost to UMBC in the first round, they were first in defensive efficiency, fourth in effective field goal percentage, but 41st in turnover percentage. Um, 12th in steal percentage, but that might be a little skewed because, right, 351st tempo. So if they get like four steals a game, then like that is, right. um, that is certainly, you know, up there. But, right, you know, outside the top 40 again in 20, in 2017 so to your point um uh it's it's rare that you get a team because right inherently getting a lot of steals means that you take some risks and those risks either pay off or put you in a disadvantageous position and lsu has seemed to find the balance where they can do both really really effectively and not compromise the other yeah it was I haven't watched a lot of them this year, to be quite frank, especially because they just haven't played many marquee games. Mm-hmm. What they did was awfully impressive. You got anything else? I'm out of teams. I'm out of panic meter teams. I do want to say one thing. There was going to be a, uh, there was a moment where I thought we were going to be sitting here talking about how Mike Miles single-handedly took down the number one team in the country. And I would just like to remind people that Mike Miles is very quietly one of the best five or so players in the Big 12 and is not getting the national attention he deserves. There was one point, he, I believe it was, he had 22 of TCU's 44 points when they were beating Baylor early in the second half. And then he got hurt a little bit. And the moment he went to the bench and he came back into the game, but he could, he, he tried to shoot some free throws. It clearly wasn't working because he hurt his wrist or his hand. And he, he just briefly went to the bench and that was it. It just, it was over. And in fairness, it probably would have been over anyway, because Baylor consistently does that to teams in the second half. I just, I would like to, recognize and give him some love once again because that team has been really good and he is the biggest reason why and they put in I know they lost and it wasn't all that competitive at the end but they put in a really good performance against Baylor I I'm a huge fan of his and it makes me sad that nationally nobody's really talking about it that's what happens when you play for TCU with all due respect yeah. Um, but, you know, I actually am – the more I see TCU's roster, the more intrigued I am by it. They're good. You've got, you've got yeah. two guys that were top 40 recruits, um, Micah Peavy, Chuck O'Bannon, both of those guys top 40 in their respective classes. Um, and they just got, like, Jacoby Coles, you know, only averaging five – five three and a half and one but like a guy that we are familiar with because he started his career at butler anyways just some guys that are let me put it this way not not shocked even though they're not going to be competitive in the big 12 probably not shocked that they have put together a respectable season uh, oh i think so they can far. make the ncaa tournament Meaning, oh, oh, in the in the oh, meaning, gotcha, gotcha. I, nobody's yeah. going to be talking about them. Yeah, the last no, no, two no. weeks. The big no, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, not from a sure. I, I am not writing off Jamie yeah. Dixon. And, yeah, no, they're not going to be up there at the top of the standings. Yeah, right. I mean, this is right. They're going to get there. If they get there, it'll be on the bubble, and they will have gone, you know, seven and eleven in conference or something like that. Um, and as it stands right now, they're supposed to only win three more conference games the rest of the way, according to Ken Palm. There's a, he's projecting them to finish five and 11. Um, and did they have some postponements in there? They must have because five and 11 does not add up to 
18. Yes. Yeah. Just I think they had to, yeah. They had a West Virginia game that was postponed. Anyways, not important. Um, But it would not, you know, right. Somebody's got, the only thing is that like somebody's got to lose games. (laughs) Unfortunately. Which is the unfortunate reality of the situation. And it might be them just because, I mean, they're still probably the seventh or eighth best team in the conference. Kansas State's pretty clearly the worst but like everybody else is respectable. There's only one other team that has more than three losses in this conference right now. And it's Oklahoma state. Like it is a, it's a tough conference. So that would be my only, like if they were in the sec, then like, yeah, I'd be, I'd feel good about their ability to win enough games to be in the conversation, but we shall see. Cause somebody has got to lose games. Indeed. Anything else before we get out of here? I guess Texas is a little bit also say Texas might be a little bit lucky that they didn't get onto this list of teams on the panic meter. That was, that was a bad loss. We could have thrown them on here. That was a bad loss, but that's all I got. Don't need to dive too deeply. It's really just not as good as we thought that. And like Marcus Carr hasn't been the borderline, like the all American caliber player that we were hoping he was going to be. And like, and like when you bring a bunch of guys to, even when they're top, 10 transfers all of them when none of them have played winning basketball like there's a reason they're transferring not a whole lot of guys transfer because they're important player you know after being important players on winning teams Mm -hmm. and it just takes a little while to figure out um and then you end up as a team that's still 12 and 3 first of all in 16th at Kempom but like has lost all of the games they've played to to uh top 45 teams at Kempom barring, you know, apart from their win against, against West Virginia. So Mm -hmm. the other thing I'll say is that somebody made a fake Jeff Borzello account yesterday. And I was was wondering what the the tweet was. Okay. And, and the, and the tweet was the account was suspended because I'm sure the account was, um, was flagged for imitating somebody else, but it was, um, a Jeff Borzello lookalike account tweeted that EJ Liddell was requesting a transfer. It was entering the transfer portal. And I just didn't even think about it. I was just like, that's Jeff Borzello. Holy crap. And then I was like, you're such an idiot. You're such an idiot. Um, so that was, that was really fun. I got to laugh at myself um, to the social media public. Okay. So that's always, that's always a good time. You were not, I saw, I saw three or four people say something with that tweet but obviously i couldn't see the tweet because it had been blocked so i didn't know what had happened yeah i was like what 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 and then i went to and then i clicked on borzello's account and it was like four followers and four follow wing and i was like oh i got i got got because of course jeff borzello has a verified twitter account and that one was not verified anyways they got me waiting it happens it happens um you got anything else? No, I already got all my stuff out there. All right. I think I, I, I've run out of things to say and uh, we'll think of more things to say and come talk to you again on Thursday. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out. Thank you so much for listening to this edition, uh, this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And we'll be back in a few days, Thursday or Friday to be exact. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we'll see you later.